We're glad that you're here with us uh, this afternoon. I never know if it's called afternoon or evening. I always get myself confused by it. Um, but my name is Chris Wilson. I'm the pastor here at Restoration. We're so glad that you're here. A few items of housekeeping before we get into a, a short message tonight on peace. Uh, just out this door and on this wall behind us, there is some coffee and some water. And there may be a few donut holes left. I don't know. I withheld myself from demolishing all of them. Uh, so you can help yourself to that at any point if you need to. Uh, and then if you need to use the restroom, if you'll go back out, go past uh, where you came in, past that connection center table, through the double doors. And the second door on your right after you go through is the women's restroom. And the third door on your right is the men's. And so if you need to do uh, go to the restroom, that's where those are. Uh, I don't know about you, but man, hymns are good stuff. Like, look, I like some modern Christian music, but there's something about the truths that those men and women put into those hymns that have stood the test of time. So one of the things I would encourage you to do maybe as you consider uh, the year ahead and what your devotional life is going to look like um, is to buy a good hymnal uh, and keep it in your home, keep it at your desk, keep it with you wherever you do uh, your quiet times. And even if you can't sing, you can read. And if you know the tune, you're going to read it to the tune. So you kind of just be singing in your mind, which is what I do, so that my wife and my kids will stay near me uh, and not run away. I, I make a holy racket. But man, there's just some good good stuff in, in hymns. And so I would encourage you, if you're looking to maybe add something to your uh, devotional life in the year ahead, uh, maybe look into making that investment. Tonight we are going to be uh, briefly considering peace in our second week of Advent. Hope, peace, love, and joy, as we talked about last week, are four words that are used in almost overabundance, uh, both in and outside the church during the Christmas season. And as we gather for Advent, our aim in our time together last week, this week, and in the two coming weeks is to see how each word, hope, peace, love, and joy, help us understand the overall arc of the entirety of the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and how each word finds particular fulfillment in the birth of Christ. Hope, peace, love, and joy didn't come on the scene when Christ was born. They have been there. Uh, they showed up in new ways when Christ was born, and they've just continued on. So we want to help ourselves understand how those four words help us understand all that Christ has done for us and how we fit into the story of what God continues to do in history. Tonight we set our hearts and our minds on peace. Our peace as believers isn't tied to an absence of conflict in our lives. So I can't give you seven steps on how to never have conflict again. I can tell you how to unhealthily avoid it because that's what I do. Or I can't also give you steps, but peace is not tied to the absence of anxiety or fear in our lives. So I can't give you uh, self-help tips to go out and never have to deal with those things again. But I think tonight our goal, our aim as believers is to see that our peace is ultimately grounded in Christ coming to end the hostility between us, rebel sinners that we are and were, and our God who made us in his image. As C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Let us pray. Father, we come tonight celebrating that Christ is our peace. And because our peace is tied up in Christ and in his finished work, it's a peace that stands against the battering ram and the crashing waves of life around us. It is a peace that passes all understanding because it's peace that's located not in our circumstances, but in our Christ. So would you help that to resonate deep in our hearts? Would you help us to understand that the greatest peace we needed was provided in Christ because he ended the hostility? 
He made a way. He redeemed us, sinners that we are and were, through his own blood. And so, Father, until we see you face to face, until we see our crucified and risen Savior in eternity, would you help us to hold on to this peace and trust you and love you more because we are aware of the peace that you've given us in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you were to start in Genesis 1, which is where most Bible reading plans for the year start, and you were to read the first two chapters, you would see that God spoke and he sang the world into existence. And by God's own decree, everything that was created was good. From the land, to the sky, to the sea, to the vegetation, to the animals, and all their created splendor, to the crowning achievement of the creation of man and woman, everything in the first two chapters of Genesis functioned exactly as God designed. The world in that moment knew shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. Tim Keller helps us better understand that word, and he defines it this way. God created the world to be a fabric for everything to be woven together and interdependent. This is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We translate it peace, but in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It describes a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. That was how the world was created and intended to be lived in. Everything operating the way that it should, everything faithfully and fruitfully employed under the ark of God's love. And so when the world was created, there was peace. Last week when we looked at hope, hope doesn't show up until after the fall. There's no reason for hope if everything's going exactly the way that it's supposed to go. But peace was a pre-fall state of affairs for God and for man on earth. But we read in Genesis 3 of the fall of man through the sin of Adam and Eve, and we see this shalom shattered. And from there, the Old Testament carries forward the story of God's people working and longing for a return to the peace that echoed in each of their hearts and echoes in each of our hearts that desire and that longing to return to peace. The old covenant that God made with his people Israel was a conditional covenant wherein the peace that the people of God longed for was a byproduct of their obedience to God's commands. It was an if-then arrangement. If you obey, then the blessings of God will overtake you. If you disobey, the curses of God will overtake you. Deuteronomy 28 is a full chapter devoted to blessings and curses that the Israelites would face depending on their obedience or disobedience. And if you go look at Deuteronomy 28, God knew what he was doing. There are 14 verses out of almost 60 in one chapter. There are 14 devoted to the blessings. And there are almost 45 verses devoted to the curses because even God knew it doesn't matter how good the curses are or how good the blessings are, these people are going to be bent towards earning and receiving the curses for their disobedience. Or else maybe we get a 50-50 split in those verses. Or maybe we get 45 verses on the blessings and just a handful of verses on the curses. But what God knew and what God was communicating through Moses and what the old covenant was meant to do was to stir in the people of God a desire to look outside themselves 
for a righteousness that they could not produce on their own. The peace or the shalom that God had promised through the covenant was typically thought of in four categories by the Israelites. And Baker's Evangelical Dictionary helps better understand these four areas. So this is what the Israelites thought of when you said shalom. The first thing they thought of was that shalom was a wholeness of life or body. The second way they thought about it was shalom as a right relationship or harmony between two parties or people often established by a covenant. The third way they would have thought about shalom was as prosperity, success, or fulfillment. And the last way they often thought about shalom was as victory over one's enemies or the absence of war. And so every time you read in the Old Testament about what the nation of Israel is going through, if you go back and you read it with an understanding of how they viewed shalom, and you hear about the curses, or you hear about the struggles, or you hear about the wars, and then you understand it in the context of how they thought about it, so much of what seems foreign to us begins to make sense when you understand that these four categories informed how they thought they could be returned to a peaceful relationship with their God. There's one section from Ezekiel that really encompasses, you can go a lot of different places in the prophets and in the wisdom literature, you can go all over the Old Testament and find this. But there's one part in Ezekiel where you see all four of these areas of shalom processed. And they're processed in terms of both the Old Covenant and they also force the people of Israel to look forward to a coming Messiah. And so this is what Ezekiel says by way of God in Ezekiel 34, 25 through 31. And as I read this, see if you can pick up on where these four areas of shalom would be fulfilled. This is Ezekiel speaking. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. In Ezekiel 34, in those seven verses, Ezekiel lays out by God's directive a forward-looking promise of a return to the peace that echoed in all of their hearts, a promise to be restored to a pre-fall condition. It was a promise that they would have wholeness of life and body. It was a promise that they would have a right relationship between each other and between God. It was a promise of prosperity and success and fulfillment. And it was the promise of victory over their enemies and the absence of war. God was promising that by his own power and by his own might and in his own wisdom and by his own way, he would restore peace to his people. So what Ezekiel and the rest of the Old Testament, post-Genesis 3.15, 
prepare, they all work to prepare the people of God for a coming anointed one, a Messiah, a deliverer who would mediate the peace of God to the people of God. There was one coming who would be a better prophet than Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. There was one coming who would be a better king than David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16 and Psalm 110. There was one coming who would be a better priest than Aaron because he wouldn't need a priest for himself, Leviticus 16, 6 through 20. As Micah most clearly and succinctly states in Micah 5, 4 through 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. There was a shepherd coming who would be the embodiment, who would be the peace for the people of God. Micah is pointing us to look forward to the celebration of Jesus' birth. So when we read the familiar passage in Luke 2 about the birth of Jesus, this long-hoped-for Messiah, we hear the angel's proclamation to the shepherds in the field with a bit more force. With all of this background presently in our minds, listen to these words from Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or it may say, on whom his favor rests. When the angels show up to the shepherds, they're not making a proclamation about peace being among those with whom God is pleased out of thin air. This wasn't something that the angels thought up in their quick jaunt down from heaven to surprise these shepherds in the middle of the night with a birth announcement. This isn't something they were like, all right, uh, let's do a quick uh, mad, uh, mad lib. All right, I need an adjective uh, to give me two verbs and one pronoun and four contractions. All right, here we go. Let's see what we got. This was all designed and all a part of the story that God had been telling from Genesis 1 until those shepherds were on that hillside that night minding their own business when all of heaven broke loose around them. And when the angels announced that there is going to be peace on those with whom God's favor rests, they're bringing all of the promises of peace that were bound up in the old covenant. And they're saying with force and with certainty, here is the one who is going to be the fulfillment of all of the obedience that you can't do on your own. Here is going to be the one who lives in such a way that God never is displeased with him. And he's going to die in your place feeling the displeasure and the punishment of God for your sins so that you who are sinners who have no right to be in the peace and the presence of God can be brought in through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so when the angels show up on that hillside and they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, they are preaching the gospel to the shepherds. 
This is what we all need. This is what has at one point or another struck the deepest chords of our hearts and we have responded in faith is this, that Christ is our peace and that we could be at peace with God and we could go from living in fear of His judgment to living with the assurity that His favor rests on us because of His Son. So we often read and we're like, oh, that's cool that the angel said that. And we often spend so much time focused on, well, if I'm a shepherd, what would I do? I don't know. The focus is not on what the shepherds did or didn't do in that moment. It's what the angels are telling them. What the angels tell, look, when the angels show up, the shepherds don't take off running then. It's after the angels have told them the good news about where they're going in the first place. That's when they go. The crux of the passage in Luke 2 is not that the shepherds went. It's what the angels told them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we often get our order of life mixed up. We take off running, not sure where we're going or what we're doing, and not knowing and not remembering and not being faithful to hear the gospel first. When you hear the gospel first, and then you go, it changes how you go. It changes what you say when you get there. It changes how you interact with people. Look, if they just said, hey, there's a baby that's been born, go give him a look. We'll stroll on into Bethlehem when you get a chance, shepherds. No, okay. Maybe, we'll see. I mean, we've got sheep to watch. When angels show up and they tell you, hey, the one that's been born, he's Christ. He is the one who is going to save you from your sins. Then you go. You go and you see it just as it was told to you. And then what is it that the shepherds do? Luke 2.15 When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The first gospel missionaries in the Bible were the shepherds. They went out and told people that a Christ had been born, a Savior, a Messiah. They go and see it. They're like, hey, look, this is just like the angel said. Imagine that. And then they go, and they just start telling people. Hey, we saw the... Hey, how many babies are born on an average? I don't even know. Like, there's just a lot. Like, what, what is it about this child that they saw these angels communicated to them that caused them to not only go and see for themselves... But then they started to tell other people. And everyone wondered, and everyone wasn't 100% sure in Luke 2 who this Jesus really was. But can I just say that the challenge for us tonight is this, and if we've known the peace of God offered to us through Christ, who are we telling? I mean, the shepherds told an incomplete gospel story because nobody knew really who Jesus was. There was not the fullness of the gospel that we have now. But they were faithful. They just started telling people. 
They didn't worry about if they got it all right. They didn't worry about not being able to answer all the questions that people may have had. They just, hey, how are you doing today? Good. Hey, there was a baby born. He's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's going to save us. Peace on earth from, those who, on, from God on those whom his favor rests. Got to run. They just, like, I say that lightheartedly. But here's the deal. If you know this is the truth, why would you not tell people? And so if we know that the biggest need that everyone we meet has is to be put back at peace with the God who created them in his image, why do we so often talk about every other thing that we know won't ultimately give them peace rather than telling them about who Christ is and what he's done? We'll give our friends financial advice. We'll give them relationship advice. We'll give them career advice. And I'm not saying you don't do those things. But when was the last time you challenged a friend or you talked to someone who didn't know Jesus and said, Maybe the peace you're looking for isn't going to be found there. Actually, I know it's not. It's going to be found in this baby who was born. And his name is Jesus. And he came to save his people from their sins. And you can have peace. And if you followed Jesus for 15 years tonight, maybe you need to be reminded that you're at peace with God through Christ. If you've been following Jesus for five minutes, Be reminded that you are at peace with God through Christ. When all of life seems to make sense and go exactly the way that you want it to, you're no more at peace then than you are when life is falling apart around you because your peace is in and through the finished work of Christ. The baby lying in the manger whose birth was announced by the angels was the only way for people who were alienated and hostile towards God to finally know peace. Glennie Schaefer said, one cannot overlook the fact that this harmony or peace will never happen until man has a right relationship with Yahweh. So as we prepare to sing and respond, let me revisit the Christmas hymn we opened the service with. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let us pray.